Hello once again, listeners, and welcome to Something Who, episode 19. Back in our classic format, comparing the newly released animated version of Second Doctor Story, The Faceless Ones, with Tenth Doctor Story, The Idiot's Lantern. Thanks to you, listeners. You're making this a record month for downloads. And as ever, if you like what we do, please let others know so they can find us too. So today I'm joined by Paul... Hello. And an exciting moment in podcast history. We have Giles. Hello. Ah, how nice to speak to people in the outside world. Indeed. And special guest, uh, I hope you're listening to that, Tim. Um, you're on recording with Giles for the first time. <clears throat> Imagine all the people <laughs> living. Oh, are we yeah. not? I thought we were doing that. <laughs> hello, hello, <laughs> listeners. Hello, something here. Uh, hello, Tim. Hello, Giles. Giles, hello. it's amazing. Yes, yeah. Just don't, don't, don't get too close. We'll short out the time differential. Mm. <laughs> Indeedy. Indeedy. How are, uh, Giles, um, I saw you on the television. Ah, yes. But I don't know if I've caught all of you on the television. Did you, did you make it through to a further round <laughs> on Mastermind? No, afraid not. No, touchy uh, subject. Oh, it was ridiculous, your episode. There was a, a, a young lady on there, and she was getting, how do you spell cat? <laughs> <laughs> it's not her fault, but I thought you did superbly well, Mucker, uh, so, so well done. I thought it was a, a really good yeah. performance. Ah, yeah, it's, it's the luck of the draw, but it's the, the only thing that's slightly great is that any other year they'd have, um, until now, they've had like, the highest place runners-up going through, and now they suddenly decided to make it sudden death, so... No Ooh. second chances. Uh, well, hard lines, but well done. Congratulations. Yeah. Very, yeah. very good. Well done. It was fun. Yeah. And, and you're always mastermind on this podcast. No. <laughs> I'm not sure oh. about that. And, and Richard, I understand I've heard on the grapevine that you've perfected your Toby Haydock impression. <laughs> it, it, it was astonishing uh, for uh, an hour and 13 minutes. Yeah, yeah. you'd, you'd never know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> So that's out, is it? That's 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 out and live and available to listen. Yeah, well, by the time I've edited this one, it, not only will it have been out, but it'll have been forgotten, I expect. <laughs> 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 but yes, no, as we speak, it's uh, it, 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 it's it's doing reasonably well, and uh, and I hope that that by later in the week it'll it'll have uh, caught on like wildfire. But we, you do, as we've established, have a. a unique selling point for this episode. It's not just another edition, it's Burrows and Sparrow together for the first time. They said it couldn't happen, they said it shouldn't happen. <laughs> but we did it anyway. We're also recording on the 100th birthday of Patrick Troughton. Yeah, yeah. yeah which of course we've, 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 we've uh, com- specially engineered by complete accident. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, because Tim was busy yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's, that's rather a nice touch, isn't it? It is. Mm. And Richard, perhaps I thought it would be a good opportunity as this is a sort of lockdown podcast that you perhaps could reassure the listeners of what happened first time round in 1918. <laughs> 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 Sorry, are we allowed to do uh, old, old jokes anymore? Uh, I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, my, my, my grandfather... 
certainly was alive, um, uh, although sadly not any longer, um, through 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 that uh, particular epidemic. But uh, but yeah, um, there's, a fan- family <coughs> there's a fantastic um, thing on iPlayer, Christopher Eccleston, narrating the uh, I can't remember what it's called, the, the flu that killed fifty million or something. Yeah, um, right. But I watched that a couple of days ago, and it's vaguely Doctor Whoish. Mm. It's got mm. Christopher Eccleston in and some doctors. <laughs> so it's still on topic mm. Mm. do you want me to unplug yet I'll go it's fine <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah this is a this is more of a support group than a podcast I think <laughs> at the moment <laughs> so yeah, so so bear with us, listeners. So so uh, the faceless ones, uh, the animation of which came out what about a week or so ago? Ah, um, yes. I think it dropped through my letterbox about then. Um, so so what I've done, uh, possibly controversially, is I watched the extant episodes one and three, and then I watched animation for everything else. I'm afraid that I couldn't bring myself to watch animation of episodes that actually existed. Oh. Um, so so that's what I've done. So I hope I haven't missed very much. I mean, uh, four episodes of animation, I think I've probably got a flavour of it. Well, indeed, and they gave you the options to do it any which way you wanted, didn't they? You could watch it with the extant episodes incorporated, or you could watch it all animated, or black and white with the yes. extant ones, and it was it was the full um, the full options allowed. They've overcompensated for the macro terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so suddenly, frippery is all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Is there a recon on there as well? There is an original. Yeah, one. yeah. Mm. Ah, good. I'll have to try that. Yeah, and almost as if they were having a pop at uh, people not so heavily involved in this production. They kept saying about <laughs> how faithful they were to the original, and there's a, a <laughs> there's a a, a a pretty good extra on there with with the making of the animation, and they they keep talking about how faithful they are to it. Yeah, and Anne Marie Waterface has a, a a big track on the shelf behind her, so I was impressed with that. That was worth right. going steelbook for alone. <laughs> Do you remember the big track? You had one at your school, probably. Ooh, yes. I only know what you're talking about because I saw you tweet a picture of it. Oh. <laughs> I had a big loader, but yes, big track, I remember. I couldn't afford no, one. Completely those, no, different. no completely different. No, I didn't have one. I remember lusting over it. I had to wind up Evil, Can- I had to wind up evil Knievel. It's the best I could mm. do. <laughs> anyone, remember, uh, anyone remember that? If we're doing yeah, I do. Kids I toy nostalgia. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had yeah, a Stretch yeah. Armstrong. Ooh. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> so, so what did they call that particular feature then, Tim? Was it uh, excisions? Not on your Nelly. Oh, <laughs> they didn't try to compensate for Macro Terror by adding in extra bits of comedy business. Inventing <laughs> brand new <laughs> custard uh, pies flying yeah. through the air in the background. <laughs> <laughs> No, face to face with the faceless ones. Mm. Mm. Of Very course, good, they think. call it that. Continue that mm. grand tradition of overly complicated, not quite punning DVD mm. titles. <laughs> oh dear, mm. gotta love them. So, so I realised on seeing this that I had I'd only watched, I think, episode one the once, which was probably when Lost in Time came out. Episode three, I saw probably a couple of times at the. Panopticon convention in 87 when it and evil came back and probably also on lost in time 
and it's in awful shape, isn't it? It's mm. it's, it's kind of um, a bit sad, really. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't I haven't checked it recently, but I think you're, I must have I've seen it for the first time on Lost in Time because they're quite ingenious at um, fixing these little gaps, aren't they? Like the end where they yeah. fix the end of airlock is is very clever, and you wouldn't know. Mm. But the same can't be said here. They've, there's so many bits missing, and I think the specific choice they made back when they fixed it for Lost in Time to zoom in on certain bits of footage yes. doesn't really work, does it? I was hoping they might have another another look at it for this, but. Um, I guess they ran out of time, or maybe there was literally yeah, nothing. Late, dollar short. Mm. I think it was not. It wasn't what they were doing. So, so they, you know, we were probably lucky that they bothered to stick it on there at all. <laughs> well, mm. Yeah, bizarre, isn't it? Mm. I was very disappointed when they didn't restore it, but I appreciate it's not what they're doing. The focus is the, um, the focus is the the animation. Mm. Mm. Well, I can only assume that. Um, that our expert restorer is is working on something else. Are either of them bid fired, or are they uh, one of some of the episodes that are too bad to do that? Because well, they wouldn't bother with three for sure. No, I don't def- think uh, one is either. Right. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Well, have, to see what, have to see what happens. I guess they'll save that for the. That'll be extra con- extra bonus stuff for the B, uh, for the Blu-ray, as and when. I guess that's when yeah. they can. They, yeah. know, they know they're going to get another shot at whatever they can apply at some point i guess now so yes and they'll need to they'll need to excuse the um or justify the the the, the, the double, double dip, dip. yeah yeah hmm. so did anyone see the the bits that existed the faces ones before the lost in time dvd set was were they on the, that big mop up vhs set or something were they or not where where did they come out originally on video cuz i don't think i saw wherever it was i don't think i saw them Mm. And I never saw any pirated copies. No, because you know the the odds and sods, the orphans had, had leaked out, dribbled out over the previous decade, hadn't they, on various mm. official releases? But they, those two. The only one I had was was a Cyberman one with uh, the Wheel in Space and Moonbase episodes. Mm. Um, I, I I kind of missed out on those kind of back end of the DVD ones. Mm. Yeah. Oh, sorry, of the VHS range rather. I can't remember. I had the I had the Hartnell years, the Trouden years ones, which all which had about three each, but I don't think they picked those out for them. And mm. yeah, I'm going to have to check now. Apart from that, I have fun mm. fun memories of seeing some stuff that's stuff the first time I went to the BFI back when it was the right. back back when it was the NFT back <laughs> in about 1981 or or whenever or was it 83 when they did their little mini festival that ben, uh, that Jeremy Bentham programmed. And I remember going to a Trouton session there and getting to see Abominable Snowmen for the first time. And the Space Pirates 5. Oh, sorry, no, it's not the Space Pirates 5. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, what am I saying? <laughs> it was snail on the... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the Space Pirates. And um, and thoroughly, uh, thoroughly enjoying that at the time. And, um, yeah. Hmm. But no, I don't remember seeing a faceless one's on, and I've only ever I've only really watched them a couple of times on Lost in Time, and I think once I've I've kind of gone through the thing on on audio, and then I I went to the BFI a couple of weeks back when we were allowed out of our houses, and um, <laughs> and saw the yeah, so I was there for the so we saw it all on color animation, and I must confess I have mm. not gone back and done my homework by watching the watching the originals again since it was definitely one of those forgotten stories wasn't it possibly no yeah. more or less than the other season four 
Mm. In Zara's the Ben and Polly era, but um, yeah, yeah, because the book was on the late, late, later ones to come out. I think yeah, mm. it feels like mm. it. Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, I'd agree with you there. I, uh, similarly with Giles, I'd, I'd, I'd listen to the soundtrack, but I can't, I couldn't remember it. Mm. Um, I'd never seen a reconstruction. So actually, watching this, you know, with, with the animation, it, it was really the first time I felt like I'd experienced the story in any way. And yeah, I mean, I could have the odd quibble with with the animation, but I have to say that I enjoyed watching it, and it, you know, it, it did a decent job of telling the story. Um, so, so yeah, so now I feel like I know what that one's about at last. The animation works better in color, right? For me, in that I watched in black and white first, and then in color, and I've, I found myself being more wowed by the color bits than than distracted by where the animation doesn't quite work. If that makes sense. There's more to distract you and, and immerse you. Mm. And it was done very well, the colour, uh, as was the Macro Terra, as mm. opposed to the Power of the Daleks, which was, you know, added in later. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I thought it was fine as an animation. The, uh, my one my one issue, uh, I guess, in the realisation was, was that in the glimpse that we have of one of the chameleons at the end of the episode one extant, uh, yes, copy. Yes. They're glistening. I think they covered them in Vaseline, and they look really disgusting. Mm. And that just isn't carried over to the animation, where they just look rather unmenacing and unremarkable, mm. in my view. So that's a shame. And I don't know what I, I don't know what they could have done to make those more threatening or more more horrific. But other than that, quibbles. Mm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go on and on about this. But I'm, I must be honest. I I cannot tell a lie. I was disappointed in the animation here. I was expecting to have to come. I was expecting to come on and de- defend it because I think I've always been slightly more keen on them than some of some of us. Mm. Since the beginning, I've been very happy with them more or less, and I thought they were getting better. I thought they were on a very definite upward trajectory. Mm. But for me personally, I think it's temporarily, but quite clearly peaked with the macro tear, and I thought it was quite a big step backwards in in most respects, and I'm not sure why. It might be that the Macrocerol proved to be the exception, the aberration, because it was animated by a different team. They, they brought in a whole um, team of animate, you know, professional animators, didn't they, to do that? And for some reason, they decided not to work with them again. So I don't know if they've gone back to the people who used It was the f- software, wasn't it? It was the, the, mm. the, the particular thing that they used. But Martin Geraghty did both, and Rob Ritchie did both, and Anne-Marie... Yeah, mm. Presley um, <coughs> did both. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to go into too much detail because, I mean, basically it would end up <laughs> sounding like a witch hunt trying to work out who fucked this <laughs> up. But, um, <laughs> but I just, uh, the animation did seem a lot smoother on the Macro Terra. I was very pleased with it. And it's gone, uh, I meant to go back and check and see if it, it felt jerkier than I remember. Mm. Power of the Daleks and Sharda being, but maybe maybe the memory cheats, maybe it isn't. Mm. Maybe it's that the macro tear was smoother. But yes, that software, um, it did something interesting. It seemed to allow them to slightly morph, not morph, but take still animations of it. Because, you know, they've drawn each character's bodies and faces in several different degre- degrees yeah. of rotation, from mm. full on to 90 yeah. degrees, you know, full on 45 degrees, 90 degrees, all that sort of thing. But within that, they seem to be using some software on the macro tail that allowed them to rotate them to give them an extra 10, 15 degrees right. of flexibility. Mm. And it was quite, it was very clever. It added an extra mm-hmm. degree of believability and stopped yes. the yeah. transitions when people turn mm. from being too suddenly sudden. Mm. And um, 
it just felt to me when I started watching the Faces ones that they'd dropped that software and it, we were back to just a much more primitive flip, you know, bump, bump, bump. Mm, interesting. But hmm. when you pay attention, it is still in there. There's like every few minutes you'll see one scene, one character mm. in one scene will, will still be using that slightly more subtle form of animation. Oh, okay. So whether or not, mm. I don't know what's happened. I don't know if they went mm. to a faster time scale and didn't have time to make use of it. Mm. I don't know. I was disappointed. Mm. But, on, mm. but on the other hand, it's, it's still more than acceptable. Mm. Oh, what a, ter- what a mm. terrible backhanded compliment. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's a reviewer job for the, for the time and the budget they've been allowed. I just mm. thought it was a shame that they uh, raised my expectations with, with Macra. Mm. I wonder whether, I know it didn't, I know I've got, if I was being hypercritical, I'd, I'd say I, I have a, I have issues with a couple of the character designs and some, some of them mm. are great and some of them, are, you know, and in particular shots, you just think, yeah, it's Troughton's head looks too big for his, or, you know, head yeah. face looks too small for his head. But I think that that would be my way. In terms of the actual sort of the animation and the fluidity of it, I can't say I'd notice, but I wonder whether it's anything to do with the what they're trying to reproduce. I know, mean, obviously, there's that fight scene in episode six, which we know is you know has been, you know, but you know there are there's only so far you can go with these things in terms of yes. reproducing mm. it on a budget, and I'm I'm willing to give them a pass on that, but I'm I wonder whether yeah. that's symptomatic of the whole thing because it was a it was quite location heavy. And you know what? For me, had... for me, the bits I'm disappointed in isn't that they failed to um, produce really exciting action scenes. But <clears> what I liked, I, I remember the first time I saw anything of any clips of the Macrotera, I was at Gallifrey Convention just over a year ago, and they showed mm. a, a character scene, two characters, very little dialogue. It was uh, mm. the scene with the Doctor uh, writing his formula on a on a wall, mm. and mm. I was impressed because there was no dialogue and not much going on, and they'd had to concentrate on putting a lot of character into his expressions. I perked up. I thought, this is a step up. This is interesting. They're able to keep... They've got more subtlety. They can keep my attention on the sort of prosaic scenes which Doctor Who is disproportionately reliant. And um, that seemed to be what we were lacking here. And that's what we needed. Something to liven up all those scenes where we're just looking at people and trying to see what they're thinking Mm. without the benefit of of character acting hmm. and also I, like I say I think it was a step back in every aspect it is still Martin Garrett's character designs but they were I did wonder if he had some help from a subordinate or something because some some of the characters look, looked less convincing the, a lot of the bodies seemed a bit too small for the heads I thought everyone seemed a bit thin in a way that it had it just looked, looked a bit amateurish around the edges in so many ways which they never have before Mm. And there was a also this might be a directorial touch. I thought there was a lot more use of side-on views. Normally, they con- they depend quite heavily on sort of forty-five degree angles where mm. people are looking, mm. which which I think is the best um, approach for this sort of artwork. Mm. Front front on looks quite good, but when you're slightly askew. Mm. You can have a conversation. So you, you have to frame it differently to how you would if it was two actors. Mm. You have to cheat a little bit. Mm. But but most of these characters, these designs don't look very good when they're completely side on. And there was a hell of a lot of that in this one. And I meant to go back and check and see if they'd done that before because it really leapt out at me. 
as a new innovation and not a welcome one. Because all of the characters look much, much, much less believable as human beings, let alone as the people they're supposed to be in, in the side view. And, mm. and, they, and it particularly, it's particularly um, just <laughs> disastrous when they're speaking because then you get this weird effect with sort of... I don't think Peter ever filmed from that, from that side. When mouths are opening, you look, they look more like Pac-Man. You know, that it's, um, mm. it's a very weird effect. Go back and have a look. <coughs> oh, then again, if you didn't notice, mm. if it didn't bother you, then maybe it's just me being hypercritical. Mm. But I'm not normally hypercritical, and that's, that's what's a shame. I normally am able to completely suspend my disbelief and not even have to make allowances for the conditions under which these are made. And this time, it didn't really happen. But I'm, I'm optimistic that the other group that are doing Fear from the Deep and hopefully mm. others will be slightly more to my taste. There were some clips for, of that shown at, at Gallifrey this year. Mm -hmm. I thought the animation and the designs or rather more believable and effective mm. and artistic and tasteful. So, fingers crossed. Mm. If I only liked one in, you know, every other one in future, then it was a shame, but bad not liking any of them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I... So I watched this in two batches. I watched one to three and then four to six. Um, and I found the animation slightly more irritating in two between the two extant episodes. When I watched a bunch of three animated ones together, four to six, I sort of, you know, relaxed into that reasonably well. So, so I think perhaps the jump between the, the the two was was the thing that was perhaps doing doing me there. I understand all the points you've made, Paul, and I think I'm, I'm sure they're, they're they're bang on. I think that probably would have irritated me less. But yes, I mean, Trouton was a little bit smiley. I felt at times as well. That was the other thing that yeah, a bit one, a bit one. I know he's a difficult person to animate, but he was a little mm. bit. He had he had that sort of uh, yeah smiley expression all the time. It was quite frustrating because in the extra where they did you know the making of, they mm. showed some times when they'd frozen the screen and then drawn over it, and it really captured Troughton. And 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 I just wondered why that gets lost as they sort of render the animation through. It, it was a, a little bit. Yeah, I did notice I, that. With I Trout haven't watched especially. the documentary yet, but is there anything in there that would explain any of the points I brought up, or, or not? They they did talk about well, interestingly, and and perhaps in disagreement with what you've said, <laughs> is that they they talked about how they did a lot more directing, in it. They had the liberty to do that. So when they shot, the original, they do lots of sort of what do you call it when they're all side by side in shot, medium shot, and they're all. Mm they're all side by side and capturing them all they talked about how they could avoid doing that and and just get two characters in the frame rather than all five in the room sort of thing oh um, yeah 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 I, I did notice that once or twice that's, that's the only thing they've talked about with the direction really whereas what you're saying about them trying to capture them side on all the time it sounds like they're trying to cram more people in but i didn't notice no, it, I, I didn't notice your it wasn't your that observation it, it was it's seemingly random really Hey, listeners, if anybody else spotted that and was freaked out by it, the constant use of side-on views, <laughs> which, uh, which <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, as soon as somebody turns fully side-on, it looks like a five-year-old has got a wax crane and done it. It's just a ridiculously <laughs> large differential between that and the wonderful three-quarter views. Mm. Anyway, oh dear, I've dug myself a hole again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly agree that the side-on views, you know, there were quite, a, there were quite a few where they. They did look somewhat like stick figures when they showed them side on. You know, it's a bit, 
kind of bod style animation. Just I, I don't know. Um, I'm more forgiving of it, but it just felt like they were lo- they were losing something by showing showing that angle. I'll be more forgiving of it if I hadn't seen it done better three times already. That's that's the only reason I'm really bringing it up. Mm. Anyway, let us move on, please. <clears throat> I'll have to avoid watching it ever again now because I rather enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And know. now I can add this to and you Gordon Brown. Mike wasn't here that we, you get, it's all going to be plain sailing, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, I can add it to the things <laughs> that I won't be able to unsee, like you know Gordon Brown's slack jaw oh, yeah. inhalation and um, oh, yeah. Jeremy Beadle's hand and all the rest <laughs> of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sideways on animation. I'll, I'll never watch it again and just die happy. I think. <laughs> Excellent. Now, what about the faces ones? First, yes. first Malcolm Hulk story, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Because the, because the hidden planet fell through. But that, that's mm-hmm. for, and for did he do? Did, did they have one about the Romans as well, or something? The Romans evacuate uh, when the Romans left Britain in AD whatever it was. He he did another one which came close. I did, he? did he? When was yeah. that supposed mm. to appear? Don't know. It was, it was at some point between 1963 and the Faceless Ones. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to rip off the long sunset, I guess. Yeah. Your research was yeah. looking really impressive until, <laughs> until I scratched beneath I the surface. Light up the big signal. So, <laughs> did anyone big, spot the big signal? Trait? There we go. <laughs> I I think there's more. You can see more of um, Malcolm Hulk's <clears throat> interest uh, a later style here than you can in Robert Holmes's first one. Don't know about you. Hmm. It's particularly, I'll just zoom in on the, on the thing I'm most convinced by, the fact that yeah. um, at the end, the, there's not a lot of shades of grey with the, the chameleons through the story, but at the very end, mm. what, they don't just get blown up or something. They, yeah. The doctor negotiates with them. Mm. We see, try mm. to see things from there. So mm. They could have worked that in a bit earlier on, really. A mm. um, mm. bit more discussion of, discussion of their dilemma, but it, that's the bit that feels most like it could, could have been at home in the Pertwee era. No, we you can imagine really we pontificating don't... about mm. had he been trying to create a ferment discussion between the two parties, wouldn't he, all the way through it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it's sort of it's sort of like a reverse Pertwee, because in the Pertwee ones he tries to negotiate with yeah. them and then they blow him up at the end. <laughs> whereas this way it was the other way around, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it is it almost feels did anyone just say that like an afterthought? Because it really is only in the last few minutes when suddenly Troughton is it's fairly late in the day that he's decides that he's not going to kill them, that he'll just send them home. And then at the, in his very last conversation with them, he says, I may even have a few ideas of my own. Which, um, again, seems tacked on because if he did have ideas of how to solve their problem, perhaps he should have mentioned it earlier. I, I know he's had more pressing concerns that they keep. Well, it'd be interesting to, to look back at the, the story they did originally, which was the big store, which um, oh, it was all yes. supposed to be set in a department store, wasn't it? Which, Because mm-hmm. the Faceless Ones itself feels like it's got lots of bits thrown in and it doesn't really make sense, which I'll talk about in a bit. But I'd be interested to see if they have that ending in the big store, you know, where Troughton rescues them all, hmm. or not. I don't know. Giles, you were going to say, sorry. Oh, so I was only going to say, and I think it's true. It's, you know, it's, it's nice, and I couldn't remember... Yeah, I really couldn't remember the story from from my listen through. So uh, apart from kind of knowing, uh, being a bit more familiar with the start of it, um, I couldn't remember how it resolved itself at all. So so it was quite nice actually just watching it all live and unfolding. But I, know, I take your point on that. But and I think the problem is the story is not really structured to give us much insight into the into the chameleons and what they're up to until we really get up to the space station. 
There isn't. Mm. It's not like you have any debate going on between them about. No, you get lots of cutaways to them talking among themselves about their plans. But unfortunately, we don't have anybody in a, in those scenes to give us a, a different perspective, do we? No, it's just and it's mostly it's mostly seems to be about their plans to, you know, what the what their latest dastardly trap they're going to set for the Doctor is. Um, <laughs> yes, and again, the the the, the seeds of their ultimate fall, which is that they don't all agree on the best approach. Only come in again in the last episode, don't mm, they? Yeah. Well, it Which was a little bit hulky. Now you've mentioned it, Paul. It was a little bit hulky, and if that's the word, that um, there became a class divide yes. the, uh, amongst the comedians themselves. It was a bit old Silurian, young Silurian, Silurian scientist, yes. wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Mm. So I yeah, think he was discovering that as he was mm. writing, because we mm. all know they made these things up as they went along back in, that, in those days. Mm. I, th- I think you can see Malcolm Hulk, Doctor Who writer, being born in episode mm. six. <laughs> Let's go back and find the exact minute <laughs> yeah. where it happens. Does he do any more Troughton until 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 the war games? Don't think so. No. Mm. No, no, I don't think so. And okay. anyone know anything about sorry, is it David Ellis? Is it? Yeah, soap mm. writer. Right. They were, they all did the same things, didn't they? They all did United and Crossroads and Peter all the rest of them. He he was a soap writer along with Malcolm Hulk mm. and all the rest of them. Terence Diggs. Hmm. You know what I thought when I was watching it, and it's a it's a random thought, but bear with me. I used to work with a guy, and if you had to move a table with him, just a six foot trestle table, mm-hmm. from where you're stood to the other side of the room, you'd think that two people could reasonably cooperate and just lift it and carry it across the room. But this guy, after a few steps, would say, "No, hang on a minute. If we swap places and you turn, <laughs> over, and I put my hand down there and you put your hand on there, and then you'd get in an argument with him, and it would take thirty times longer than the task itself." And I kept thinking of this guy, and I thought the chameleons were a little bit like that. They wanted to kidnap fifty thousand people. Mm. So instead of just getting their satellite over Burnden Park or something on a Saturday and zapping them all up, <laughs> the, <laughs> they come out with the most convoluted, <laughs> ridiculous scheme where they would have had to form their air travel company, mm. hire the planes or buy the planes, hire premises at Gatwick Airport, and then come up with the most contrived, <laughs> contrived set of circumstances. Yeah, to get, I'm not even to get sure. These people, one hundred at a time, <laughs> miniaturize them, in a, yeah. uh, design the plane that miniaturizes them, and mm. then take them to their spaceship. Mm. Like so much of the Troughton era, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and I love it for it. I do love it. I'm this not is more it. more fun than the wheel in space. Oh, indeed, <laughs> yeah, but but. Yeah, but it's of a similar level of, of, yes. of, of bollocks, isn't it? If you pardon the um, pardon my French, mm. a lot of se- a lot of season four is just is just ridiculously written, and so on and so forth to season five, and that greatly amused me. Did I um, <laughs> did I understand correctly? I, I was sort of glazing over by the by episode six, the car, the, the relevance <laughs> of the car park. Were they going to have to keep those bodies in the cars in the car park yes. indefinitely? Yes. Yeah. Right, we've so hidden nobody, the bodies where you will probably, never find them. That's probably where it would have gone wrong. Yeah, at least until they'd gone through until zones A to F would were full up, and then had, they'd come back again, back around the next week. I think somebody would have noticed. Yes. Ah, oh, well. Yeah. But it's a it's a celebration of nonsense. I absolutely adore it, and uh, mm. and that is counterbalanced by the the cast who are 
absolutely superb. Mm. I thought. Well, I that's what that's what that's a... what gets it through without you noticing, really. Yeah, how dark yeah, it all indeed. is. I think Donald Pickering is the standout. His mm. performance survives even through the <laughs> through the animation. No. Bernard Kay is lovely, isn't he? Is I he just is. want to cover yeah. him. I, I, when he's, when no, he's, I was going to say Colin he's... Gordon. So. Yeah, and then you've got you've got Wanda Ventham, uh, sorry, and uh, Pauline Collins as well. It's just a yeah. stellar mm. cast, mm. absolutely yes, uh, stellar. Pauline Collins, everyone's third favourite Scouse companion. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I did find her performance suffered a bit when she was entirely animated because there was something about her delivery that I think would she'd have would have come across much better. Actually, I didn't because I didn't rewatch episode three um, on this occasion, so. She, for, I might say, for a scouser, she was slightly wooden as a scouser. Oddly, in this, there's I thought. I, I, there's something odd about her line delivery. Hmm. She seemed to end every sentence on a down note. No, but even more, no, that, <laughs> even more than even more than any scouser. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're talking about bad accents. <laughs> as much as I love, um, was name Bernard. Bernard K. Kay. Mm. Yes, his Scottish <laughs> accent was very peculiar. It reminded mm. me of another one I've heard mm. recently, very similar. It was simply um, something that RP actors did in that era. They went for a mm. particularly odd, floaty, lilting sort of Scots accent, mm. which I've no idea what <laughs> quite what it is they're going for. Is it some sort of Edinburgh thing? I don't know. But um, I'm not going to try and imitate what I think he was doing, but it was... <laughs> It certainly wasn't Glasgow, yeah. It was. It was. If it was anything, it was probably east coast and maybe a bit further north than Edinburgh. Yeah. I think it was an episode of um, Lord Peter Whimsy from the seventies that I watched, which was set in Scotland, and they, apart from him, out of Callan, I don't think any of the actors mm. were actually genuinely Scottish. And but they were mm. so. Oh, I know what it was. Michael Sheard was doing. That's what. Michael Sheard was Callan. Yeah. L- Lonely out Callum, uh, Russell Hunter. Oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, was oh, yeah. genuinely Scottish in this episode. Michael Sheard was doing a very, very similar floaty, oh, floaty sort of Scots accent mm. to mm. to the one that Bernard Kay was doing here. Possibly mm. no connection whatsoever, but if anybody out there with a greater knowledge of accents and <laughs> and British art, classic television mm. would like to back me up, <laughs> I'd be very <laughs> grateful. Bernard Kay from Yorkshire, somewhere like no, that? No, he's from Bolton. I'm related oh. to him. Are you? Ah. You're related to him? Okay. Well, he's, he, I, think, I, think he, I think he was adopted, but his adopted family, I'm, I'm loosely related, by a common ancestor who was murdered on the way home from the pub. Mm. Called Blimey. Amos. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's, he's from Bolton. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Fraser Hines' RP was a bit disturbing as well in the <laughs> Yeah, very uncanny, wasn't it? It was very mm. strange um, hearing him lose the uh, the Scottish, even though he's not Scottish, obviously. But before I give up on my my theory <laughs> about these weird floaty Scottish yeah, accents, isn't that what um, Fraser Hines said about the accent he originally did for Jamie and the Highlanders, and then he changed it once he became a regular? That, oh no, no, it wasn't so much that, but he he decided not to make it accurate because it would sound too weird, and nobody would believe it was a yes. proper Scottish accent. Yeah, that's right. So maybe yeah. I'm completely yeah. wrong, and maybe what they're doing is something very accurate that I don't recognise because I've been conditioned well, I mean Highland Scott is, is kind of I mean if, if, if you're a native Gaelic speaker it kind of sounds you know almost Norwegian at times I mean it, it is it, it does sound quite foreign and then there's you know that there's an area that's a bit further south where 
it's kind of lowland Scots, but 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 not either Edinburgh or Glasgow. But I don't know that any of those was exactly what uh, Bernard Kay was doing. <laughs> no, mm. no. And um, and and if we finished with uh, Paul, have you finished with your um, Bernard Kay issue? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've clubbed him into the ground well and truly now. You've, let's move did on to something else that did I can you all spot, assassinate. Um, <laughs> did you all spot Mr. Leela in there as well? Oh, yes, of course, yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Uh, Trenchall, is it? Oh, Trenchall. yes, of course, yes. I've yeah. no idea why, but he looms very large in Ellie, my, my wife, Mrs. Morris. She's obsessed with Chris Trenchall. She reckons he was on play school in her in her childhood, which which would have been after my day, so maybe that's why I don't... Uh. But I didn't think anybody <laughs> outside the world of Doctor Who had ever... Is that where you think he's from? Yeah, she's nodding at me. Hmm. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> but to me, he's just Invasion of Time and Faceless Ones, Chris Trenchall, but no, apparently he's he's up there in the pantheon of play school presenters. Mm. Mm. She's more fond of him than... than Brian Kent and Fred Harris and all the greats, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Tony Arthur, Chris, of course. Chris Chanchel. There you go. Carol Shell. Sorry, I'll, I'll shut up now. <laughs> I'll just do the male one. Derek Griffiths. <laughs> uh. Dame Fluella Benjamin. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember her as a kid. Mm. Chloe Ashcroft. Mm. Oh, who could forget her? Mm. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and the terrible Zodin. <laughs> <laughs> I know, she was after your time, wasn't she? Shawcraft Models. <laughs> the same to you. <laughs> Shawcraft Models, it's their last involvement. Oh, is it? Okay. Mm, because they uh, they were already on the ropes with the Macro Terror and the Macro Prop. <laughs> but the satellite that they... Um, right. The satellite that they made, the satellite model... That, that they completely failed to, to use in the animation... Mm. Yeah, well, they gave something. apparently they gave no. Well, it came with no or little instruction as to how it's supposed to be rigged up. Mm. So what? they they put in a call and they said, <laughs> they said just just hang it from just hang it from a wire. So they hung it from one wire, and the <laughs> the entire thing crashed to the ground and broke. Ooh. Yeah, just where Patrick <laughs> had been standing ten seconds earlier, and when he turned around, they were all wearing eye patches. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so um, Shawcraft had to do an overnight repair, mm. and then apparently mm. there was another instance where one of their ray guns broke, and they wouldn't answer the phone for three hours during the recording. <laughs> <laughs> so they got the heave home. So Evil of yeah. the Daleks is the first one that they use the BBC in-house mm. um, right. special effects. Jack Kine and Co. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. So yeah, that's the end of Shawcraft's run, mm. and well, what part they played. But they started well with the Daleks and. Kind of all downhill from there, wasn't it? <laughs> it's quite a, a sinister score. Uh, I was thinking, listening to it, I, mm. I thought um, that it, it conveyed that kind of sense of, particularly in the early part of the story, of, of menace and kind of you're not quite sure what's going on. Yeah, the, the, it's 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 very light on music, isn't it? The, there's no um, orchestral music in it at all. It's all electronic beeps and tones, yeah. and then bits of drum. Hmm. Yeah, African drums in there. That's that's crazy, uh, crazy drum solo during the the fight in episode six reminded me of yes, yeah. Dalek Invasion of Earth. No, oh, yes, yes. Mm. I guess something they used to fall back on when they were covering a long location scene without any dialogue. Mm. Mm. It seems to me. Yeah. So it's uh, it's, it's contemporary. 
Is yes. it the is it only the second contemporary story after War Machines? And Thanos yes, is a must... giant. Thanos is a giant. Yeah, so well, yes. Be, yes, the the yeah. cheating one. Yeah. Mm. Which I suppose. No, I don't know. I was going to say that they've just contrived that to write about Ben and Polly, but they would have just mm. dropped them off on an alien planet, wouldn't they? If or was this the start of them thinking about how to write out companions in a bit more structured, <laughs> pre-planned way, rather than in a structured way, but that is that is tight on the filming schedule because mm. they were done with by episode two, weren't they? By, mm. the, by the location, they were indeed. Uh, yes, filming. yeah. That was all con- down to contractual issues, wasn't it? No, no, no. Well, they no, paid them into. Yes, they, paid them into they just didn't yeah. want them on screen for a second longer. Well, you do wonder, <laughs> but yeah, apparently Annika was saying, yeah, they got paid for the um, duration, which was. Mm. And and a couple of episodes of Evil of the Daleks, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Weird. They didn't half treat them badly. I think. Mm. Well, not as bad as poor Jackie Lane, but you know, not not far off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's arguable in a way that it's that this is a historical because it's it's sort of set contemporaneously to the War Machines, uh, allegedly. <laughs> so it's very clever. It's actually you know a few months. Um, what a devious mind you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's yeah, don't you see? This is back where it all started, Duchess. Mm. Yeah, directed by Jerry Mill, mm. apparently. Mm. About whom we never directed anything about else. About whom we know little. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, the animators have a bit of fun with the War Machines tie-in, and, and my yeah, and I have I have my pet theory that um, something weird is going on with the TARDIS. And that there's some kind of strange attractor-style chaos theory explanation that the TARDIS ends up in three different, does it end up in three different locations on the same day, on present day Earth? Well, only because um, two of them, well, because it's moved by a lorry. Mm, okay. Sure. Does that, does that count? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but e- but even twice, and then, but it, but even twice, and I kind of think, okay, and that's why the TARDIS never stops landing on present day Earth after that. You've also got another time machine acting in that era, haven't you? Yes, in, yeah. In um, Waterfield Shop. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I'll get. I'll get planning an extremely convoluted mm. big finish box set to explain all this. Yes. Yeah. Oh, volcano! Oh. There you go. You can have that one as another contemporary. Oh, the cricket. Contemporary yeah. landing. Mm. Yeah. Well, and and the feast of Stephen, I guess. Is that two mm. contemporary ones? Yeah. Mm. I'll sod off. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms and an unearthly child as well, the you know the episode and an unearthly child. <laughs> yeah, as well, but in terms in terms on. of we're knee deep in them. Sorry, go on. In terms of its um, yeah, not just continuity, but um, Doctor episode Who's, six, of Doctor the Who stylings. Hmm. In terms of Doctor Who stylings, this is the second attempt at a um, contemporary swing, and it's. It's, well, it's not quite as swinging as the War Machines, but it is in its own way, you know. Mm. Samantha Briggs mm. is is another very modern young young yeah. lad. Yes, and the whole thing about it's package holidays contempor- and so on, it's yep. very much... Yes. It's a contemporary theme, just it's like the post office tower is mm. not so much a theme as a a plot device. Mm. And yet, there's another false start, because they don't do another one again, do they, for... What, to Spearhead? Yeah, Fury. kind of. Anyway, let's not... Let's oh, not, no, hang um, on, Fury's set in the future, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fury, not fear. much, but a little bit. Fury set in the eighties. Web of Fear. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Well, well, you know what? I'm going off at a massive tangent here, but you're absolutely right. But most of these, there are there are some stories which are more like those ep- odd episodes that you mentioned earlier, where they are technically set in the present <laughs> day, but because but because the location is not out and about. 
You know what I mean? I'm just thinking, Web of Fear all being underground, it's kind this of is, more... This is becoming a little bit, Paul. I, I get your point, but it is becoming a little bit what the Romans have done for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So apart from An Unearthly Child, The Chase Episode 6, The War Machines, The Web Fear, <laughs> this is the only episode that is set in contemporary... No, I get your point entirely, Paul. It is. It is the only one that is set for its duration in a modern and which setting. makes use of it being yes the, yeah. yes the, yeah. it's out and about with hip contemporary mm-hmm. characters doing things that real yeah. people do yes rather yeah. than being underground in not very yeah. realistic tube stations or on a mm. on an oil rig yeah <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> it's just an excuse for base under siege yeah hmm. the fact that, that their contemporaneousness isn't their defining quality. I just find it interesting that mm. they don't. It takes them so long to do more of that because mm. it's an easy. <laughs> well, it's an obvious place when you're starting to run out of science fiction ideas. Run just re- remaking, you know, fairly cliche B movie style science fiction stories over and over again, or indeed as they do the following year, telling literally telling the same B movie story over and over again. Mm. Getting ideas from the real world is a way. Mm. You know, so he opens the floodgates, and yet it takes him a long time to think about doing it on a regular basis. But that was all I wanted to say about it. Mm. <laughs> I'm just trying to work out where this comes in the um in the sequence of Bond movies because the whole thing with Ooh. kidnapped planes and so on does feel does feel <laughs> like it's it's Bond inspired, doesn't it? And there's a laser. Don't forget the laser. There is a laser. Yes, indeed, the slow moving laser. Yeah. Mm. I think Tatwood talks about that in About Time, but I haven't bothered to check. Well, it's it's Have certainly <laughs> post post Goldfinger, isn't it? So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, I have to say, <laughs> one of my fondest memories from university was my physics textbook, uh, Fundamentals of Physics by Halliday and Resnick, if I have 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 my memory right. A bright green cover, second edition or something like that, and it had um all these many many. Physical principles explained in mind-numbing detail and equations that I can't remember. But on the um, the thing about lasers, they had a still from Goldfinger, <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and it, it was just captioned very dryly: "Goldfinger is about to demonstrate his laser to James Bond." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, fond memory. But uh, yeah, I think so. This is post Thunderball. I was trying to work out when when the first submarine swallowing ships and and plane swallowing spacecraft came in. Oh, it was not far off. Mm. Do we do we not get any any um, abducted spacecraft until Diamonds of Forever? Because then that would be whenever it was early seventies. We certainly get a few. We certainly get a few things happening to submarines and so on. I mean, Thunderball. Thunderball is an abducted Vulcan bomber or something, isn't it? Mm. But yeah, but the, they've the, just crashed it, haven't they? Mm. <laughs> the other the other thing that amused me in in for not good reasons is the 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 season more season four sort of sciencey stuff is that the whole raison d'etre for what they're doing <laughs> is that they lost their identities in a massive explosion. Mm. <laughs> mm. It, 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 it is a nuclear explosion that they intended, mm. uh, but it was edited out. But it's just more of this sort of. Mm make it up as you go along fast paced mm. purely kids entertainment there's no there's no attempt to be you know true to the science of things anymore in this show mm. and i don't mind that at all I, uh, it's just i just thought, thought it was humorously slapdash interesting parallel actually that will come up with the with whatever's happened to the wire mm. when we yes, get to the Lantern, yeah. which is equally yeah, yeah. 
discombobulated. Well, I think I think probably I think probably they just left their passports, you know, <laughs> by mistake, and then in the explosion they were all lost, and you know, no papers. <laughs> but their postage stamps survived. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite good at, uh, at persuading people to write postcards before they get to the place what they're going to. convoluted, mm. Logan. <laughs> <laughs> Satellite, Burnden Park, Saturday, 20,000 people there, do that for two weeks, done. <laughs> I suppose you might miss them, but yeah, but nonetheless, yeah, I think you're right. How, <laughs> yeah. how, about, how about Wembley Stadium, getting done in a one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, can I just add as well that, that they've gone so into the detail on the animation that that they they used the original Delia Derbyshire for episode one, oh. and then brought in the, the 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 second version of the theme tune for episode two, true to the broadcast. Ah, all right, okay, well done, hmm. yeah, well done, animators. I mean, yeah, Charles well, Norton wouldn't have had any of that. He'd have had, you know. Any old tap put on there, wouldn't they? But no, they were. <laughs> he, well, I, I'm surprised he hasn't been in touch asking for the Yukon Kazoo. I'm sure that would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was quite impressed with that. I was quite surprised mm. at that, that they, they went with mm. that. Oh, I'm sure Mark, Mark, Mark would have been all over that. Yes. Yes. And, and, and there, was, there was discussion in. Possibly DWM. Anyway, where uh, somewhere or other, there was discussion about Mark Ayres about the, all the effort he put into mm. to repairing the soundtrack. Mm. Again, for a, probably about the tenth time. Yes, but yeah. bloke, but there we go. <laughs> it does sound good. Yeah, it's it's a shame if they haven't if they haven't done any better restoration on the on the actual video elements. But I guess once they've done the once they've done the sound restoration, they can think. Okay, we did the video restoration for. You know, the best we can mm. for the Blu-ray when it comes. And this is basically what we're stuck with, isn't it? There was very little chance, <laughs> even in the days when we used to look, trying to tot up the, the possibility of different stories being still existing somewhere in some dusty mm. archive. This one was never very, very fancied, was it? We never would have got very excited about any of season four if it hadn't been for... Morris always getting very excited about evil of the Daleks and oh. those persistent rumours about power. Mm. But anyway, we'll, we'll, uh, we've probably already said too much about that in the past. Mm. Ha- have we run out of steam with this? or uh, I mean, are there still things people want to say about Faceless Ones? Um, what's the story behind Pauline Collins? If somebody can just remind me briefly. Actress won an Oscar. <laughs> did, she, <laughs> did she turn them down very, very late in the day? Or... Be, or after they'd started filming, or before, or after it was written, but before the filming. Well, Annika was in the frame to um, carry on. They wa- they wanted Annika. To, they asked Annika to, Annika to carry on, but wanted to ditch. Yeah. Wanted to ditch Ben, and she. Yeah. So she went with Michael Craig. She felt honour bound to leave with him, and also, yeah, from what she was saying a couple of weeks ago, yeah, Michael Goff also was somewhat influential on her and said, "Move on, do new th- do new things." The thing is, if if it's true that they wanted Samantha Briggs to be the new companion, you'd have think that you'd have thought they'd have checked with the actress they had in mind that she mm. was interested in long term contract before mm. casting somebody. You're just hoping. Mm. It doesn't feel like HR was their strong point. <laughs> 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 Shows history. So yeah, I, uh, 
it, it does sound like, as far as Pauline Collins was concerned, she never had any intention of hanging around longer than this story. But, you know, whether the agent kind of gave them to, to think that it might be a possibility in order to, for her to be cast, and then, you know, it fell apart thereafter, who knows? My understanding is that when they were writing it originally, the character was introduced as a potential companion by the rehearsal script that has gone. It doesn't exist in there. But then even later, the Innes Lloyd made an approach to Pauline Collins and asked her if she'd fancy it. Because they, they, they rewrote Jamie as a companion at the 11th hour, didn't they? They yes. had to go back and refilm mm-hmm. the, the, the last scene of the Highlanders. So I think they were a bit hot, cold, hot, cold with it. They, they felt enough. that Ben and Polly had, had served their purpose mm. and, and therefore were they knew that they would be going and knew they needed a new companion. But I think they briefed both writers, Hulk and... Ah. Um, ah, Hulk it's and a season 23 situation. We're in a Delta and the Bannermen mm. Dragonfire scenario. Absolutely. But mm. I think they did that with this, so that they briefed both David Whittaker and Hulk and, apologies, Ellis, mm. to, <laughs> to write in a potential companion. So very much like season... 24. Because all the kissy kissy mm. stuff with Jamie is um, very unusual for a supporting mm. character. Yes. But then again, mm. it would have become awkward if she'd stayed on. Absolutely. Mm. No hanky panky in the TARDIS. Mm. No. Mm. Interesting. Unusually adult content, really, for Doctor Who of that, of that era, really. It's, um, it would be interesting to. Yeah, it's a great shame that we're missing those, those tail end episodes because it would be interesting to see. How that was all played out, yeah. One can't help but notice there's an awful lot of sitting around by that kiosk, mm. at various yeah. at various stages <laughs> for both of them, and you wonder how they played it. Yeah, if only um, if only they'd been a little bit more trigger happy on the uh, telly snaps, we could have done a flicker book job. Yeah. <laughs> well, John Cura, I suppose he didn't have that much film, did he? What the butler saw. <laughs> <laughs> what he needed was a digital camera. Anyway, sorry, we're, 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 we're drifting off. Any any more? Stuff about faceless ones before we move on. This is um, what are its inspirations? There's, it's got the usual Doctor melange, hasn't it, of of inspirations from other genres, other specific sources, and is the when was Invasion of the Body Snatchers? I was get, I was just about to say Body Snatchers as well. Um, Fifty six. Okay. The fifties, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But they don't do a lot with that side of it, do they? They don't do a lot with the paranoia and, uh, you know, is this the real person or, or the doppelganger? No. For some reason. It's pretty clear. It's pretty obvious all the way through. Mm. It's just efficiently written as a story because sometimes you have some of the, you have some, some good good is turning bad, like the, in terms of the use of the actors, mm. and bad is turning good, so it's um, mm. they ring all those sorts of dramatic possibilities out of it, but not... Mm. Well, not so much the yeah, some of the less dramatic dramatic possibilities, mm. the ones they go with. That's the really weird thing that they go to, they go to the bother of changing Polly, swapping Polly for a for a duplicate, and then they don't go down that route when all of the other duplicates are all the other all the other duplicates that we know about from the airport staff are out and out villainous yeah, yeah. Villain, villainous comedians who get involved in the scheming against our heroes. Um, Apart from the inspector being taken over by the main baddie, the chief chameleon, hmm. there's not really much else done with it, is there? As you say, we don't meet any of these people before they were <laughs> no, duplicates. No. When the goodies are taken over, they, there's no real... They're then written out. 
They don't seem to consider doing the same with Troughton, for example. They could have preempted the enemy of the world here. Hmm. Mm. Wonder what accent he'd have chosen. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's fun in a way that Doctor Who is always fun because you like, enjoy seeing how it takes different inspirations and mashes them together mm. and it keeps you entertained for six weeks. Mm. Mm. It leaves you with a lingering feeling that there <laughs> could have been slightly more to it. Yes, I do think it could have kept me more in four weeks, if you know what I mean. It feels like one of those Mm. things that could have been, there is an awful lot of back and forth, but it had a job to do. (laughs) There aren't aren't many six-parters that don't feel like they shouldn't have been four weeks. Mm, Yeah, until you you get to the Bob Holmes approach of um, fight a four-parter and then tack a two-parter, have a a face turn and um, and do a um, a two-parter on the end of it. Hmm. No, but it's fine. I, I I really enjoyed it. I, I it's it, it's got a good cast. I think the performances are good, albeit you know with some dodgy accents, and it's just full of Troutonera nonsense and nonsense plots. But that's what you're tuning yes. in for with that, I, manner, isn't it? I agree. And if it sounded mm. like I was nitpicking, it's because it's so much easier to find things to say than it is you know nitpicking things to say than it is to find to find positives. Other than yes, it was fun mm. because Doctor Who always is. Yes. Yeah. Which, oddly yeah. enough, is almost exactly how I feel about our second story tonight. Ooh, seamless if any, link. If anyone, if anyone wants to move on to that one. <laughs> I think we should. Yeah, it, it's a question of, of, of how tolerant our listeners would be to that approach. Yeah, so Idiot's Lantern, Mark Gatiss, second uh, series of, of New Doctor Who, Peak, Tennant and Piper, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. And... Yeah, I... Uh, not one that I've seen since broadcast. Uh, hadn't, hadn't sort of been tempted to go back since. Um, and you know, I, 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 I'd say that my views on it probably changed a, a little on second viewing compared with with, with what I thought first time through. Um, any any thoughts from you about? Could I start off with uh, Paul and I haven't discussed this at all, other than we both went into it with the same sort of damning with faint praise expectation of it and Simon who sadly can't be here tonight because he's under the weather he messaged me just before saying exactly the same thing <laughs> and that there's three of us and it'd be interesting to see whether you two Richard and Giles mm-hmm. feel the same is that when it went out originally I didn't watch it when it went out originally I was about a year behind but mm. it felt like a very run-of-the-mill yes. RTD yes, yeah. episode mm. but sadly Compared to recent fare, it felt really entertaining and rich for me, which made me realise how spoilt we were in the, those first few years. I'd, see, series two isn't a favourite of mine. I think it, mm. it's rather grey. It feels rather grey knowing that we've got three and four to come. But I really enjoyed rewatching it mm. because my expectations of the show have been somewhat lowered by what I've seen in the last couple of years. So that was a welcome yeah. surprise for me and uh, an expectation as well. Agreed. There are yeah, two reasons. One is big, by comparison with what we've had, the general standard of what we've had recently, but mm. also taking this one out of context, both it and I think what it's got in common with a lot of the Mark Gatiss episodes is that they're, they're all entertaining, but they just suffered from... At the very least, they suffered because they were never event episodes, weren't they? They'd mm. always seem to get lost mm. and overlooked. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is sandwiched between two two parts, one of which was but, the side Yeah. I try not to. Th- I try not to view it that way. But mm. even even putting that aside, they always seem to suffer compared with other 
one-off episodes, because in this series it wasn't... Okay, I can't mention School Reunion, I suppose that's an events episode, but The Girl in the Fireplace, or... Uh, hmm. Mm. What, they, Gatiss do, what Gatiss does is that he, he tends to enjoy the richness of the historical setting that he's chosen. Um, mm. So you get that with the Unquiet Dead, and you get mm. that with the... What was the one he did in Victorian England later on? Oh, the Crimson Horror. Crimson the Horror. Crimson that's, Horror. That's my favourite. So he, he sort of wallows in the in the period dialogue. Mm. Yeah. And and he he's slightly out of his comfort zone here in that he was told to write a 1950s. I think it was originally it was about rock music, uh, rock and roll, and and that would take people's faces away. Right. Um, mm. And so he's and he said slightly out of his comfort zone here. Russell, I don't know anything about rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, I like exactly. old telly. I don't like music. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Can I put but some Coronation it, it, Street still got that, in it, please? It's still got that Gatiss historical thing going on, where he's enjoying mm. subverting all the the fifties TV stuff and and that sort of thing. So it's very much a Gatiss thing. But he's always been a bit a bit low on sort of uh, tension and drama in his stories, hasn't he? Yeah. And this is the same for that. So, but it's perfectly serviceable. So when it comes to comparing it to what we have nowadays, it's all those little details. Mm. It's, the, mm. it's the little like, throwaway jokes in the dialogue, the little details, the warmth and um, gloss, and all that is what we lack. There are run-of-the-mill stories now. Sorry, not run-of-the-mill. Don't be so dismissive, Paul. <laughs> there are stories that... Your your meat and potatoes Doctor Who now. It'll be something like... Oh, this reminded me quite a lot of the um, the Tesla episode from the last series. But, yes, but when yeah. they do it, and um, the plotting was no better, you know, is quite similar in both of them, I think. Mm. Mm. Yes. They are monster of the week, in a, but in crowbarred into a historical situation. But in the Tesla one, there was none of the, there's nothing to keep you entertained from minute to minute. There's nothing to deflect you away from the fact that there's not really, there's nothing really earth shatteringly going on on a dramatic level. Mm. You, know? you sort of you sort of get Goran Viznich having his moment yes, of charm, yeah. you know, Pertwee-esque. I think, yeah, but but yes, it's from from a from a dr- dramatic point of view. From from in, you know, in terms of the the dialogue, it's not mm. it's not the same kind of level of wit. You know, yeah. I like me my dialogue. Mm. And it's tricky. I mean, this this one's yeah, and I, I would agree, but I, I find it hard to pick on pick on the Tesla episode in particular. You know, I know I know you. I'm probably more tolerant of some stuff in the past series than you have been, Paul. Oh, but wasn't I, my I least favourite. No, no. Whereas this one, I felt I don't know. It's uh, it's it's got it's got some things that raise it, but I, I don't I don't feel it absolutely sings. Low, you know, it still feels to me like it's fairly low standard by the by the standards of, of RTD era. To, mm. to my mm. mind, it, yeah, it still yeah. feels that bit flat and, uh, and that bit obvious. I suppose um, what I was trying to say about it taking mm. out of context. Mm. But but mm. yes, it, it is interesting that yeah, it was a it was a complete filler episode at the time when I when I first watched it. And it's interesting mm. to go back to it now and then you can assess it on a on a different level. Mm. Uh, what I found watching this compared to recent stories is the characterization in this was a lot easier. Mm. Uh, you felt you knew the characters as soon as you met them because they're stereotypes. You mm-hmm. know, the, the the grandmother, the the racist, homophobic Aunt Betty, mm. uh, the father, the mother. You felt you knew all the characters quite. The the downtrodden police inspector. You felt you knew them quite quickly, 
and that felt like characterization even though they're just relying yeah. on 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 stereotypical tropes mm. or whatever how things changed because back then it didn't have they didn't have the depth and richness of russell d davis characters mm. but now mm. you're just grateful that you know who the hell they are that you mm. <laughs> that you can tell them apart from yeah. each other mm. yeah so i don't know if that's a that i don't know if that's um advocating cliche more or or whatever but you just felt that you were on board i did felt on board with these characters very very quickly and yeah they seem to have lost that ability i also found it quite interesting while we're comparing uh, eras because i was shocked at how long ago this was <laughs> and the, the the way i discovered how long ago it was it, it, in my mental process was to look up the actress who played the grandmother who who was also in fury mm, yes mm. Yeah. and and she passed away in 2011 and i thought that can't be right this when was this made mm. and this was mm. made five years before mm. it's mm. such a long time ago while you were still in short trousers i suppose too. well indeed <laughs> yeah well my trousers are always half masked but uh, <laughs> so what i found interesting in the difference in culture between now and then is they had the the remnants in there of the young lad being a strongly gay character mm. but that got watered down because i think gatus had seen captain jack according to andrew pixley that i read earlier <laughs> but what I found quite interesting is when they've, they've, they've painted this father to be a bigot uh, mm. monster and all the rest of it, that he was forgiven at the end and encouraged to be mm. forgiven. Mm. That wouldn't happen now. I don't think that would happen now. I, I don't think, I, I think there would be more tendency just to get rid of that character as someone totally evil. I found that very interesting. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously that has moved on and, and in, in terms of this now being effectively a period piece from when it was made you know you yeah. think that you know really I've, I've read some stuff about you know that um from about time i was just interested to see what tap would take on it and he was drawing comparisons and saying well a lot of 80s and 90s british movies were concerned with kind of puncturing this mythology mm. of the 50s and yeah. obviously that was you know it's almost yeah the, our, our attitude towards that sort of bigotry and so on has changed now because it's been you know, it's, it's arguably become more of a hot topic now than it was in than it was in 2006 mm. to be a, yeah you know, when we were still still at the height of the tony blair i know okay, it was post iraq war but but we were still living in what seemed to like a fairly progressive society and we were mm. more interested in looking back at it rather than rather than things being necessarily like a, a present threat the idea of mm. these, you know, these people. So yeah, maybe we could be a bit more forgiving of that, yeah. of that kind of thing yeah. then. Than, yeah, yeah. And yet, Chibnall let the space racist get away, <laughs> get away in Rosa. Okay. Though <laughs> 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 no, then yeah. again, he also he wasn't. Yeah, they didn't. Um, they didn't address it as such, did they? Yeah. Yeah, the guy, the guy in Spiders as, uh, as well. Mm, yes, yeah. Arachnid in the UK. So, but I guess the difference being that they were allowed to to go off and continue to be what they were, rather than being the, the reconciliation. Mm, yes, document. yeah. So that, that that's a slightly different mm. angle. Uh, si Simon wanted me to pass on. He didn't want all of his preparation to go to waste, and he very much enjoyed watching the Idiot's Lantern in the same 
context that I mentioned earlier. But he said this. He said, they do domestic violence subtly without hitting you in the face with a can of Stella. Mm. (laughs) 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 He said it it doesn't need to wrap a note around the can saying this episode is all about domestic violence, Mm. you stupid viewer. Yes. It's interesting. Apparently, there were a few reviews at the time that criticised it for being too preachy. Yeah. Which um, mm. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Be careful what you are. Yeah. No. Be not, careful not be careful what you wish for, what you wish for <laughs> because that's completely the wrong. Yeah. That's completely the wrong <laughs> thing to blessings. say. But yeah, count your blessings. Yeah. But yeah, love love the direction on this. I don't think we've. I don't think we ever get anything quite like this again. And this is why we mm. just decide to go completely noir. Kafkaesque kind of stuff on you know all the all the Dutch angles and all of that yeah, yeah which is fun and, you know given that you're dealing with a situation where it's um, where you've got like police abductions and things like that going on until you know what's happening yeah for sure shades of Quatermass in there yes well. yeah shades of Third Man ish. Um, but the, <laughs> the drown it's stuck out like a sore thumb a really really odd line for the downtrodden policeman which just stuck out and i'm not quite sure why he said it because it just didn't seem like this washed up copper he says um something like and these people end up sans visage sans visage yes <laughs> yeah. mm. it's just really really odd a bit of uh character in there that i hadn't noticed before but it just seemed um it, it, it seemed strange but yeah very well put together giles i agree very well directed very slick Hmm. Hmm. And the the, the the production values stood up as well, I thought, considering it is, what, 14, how old? 14 years old now? Yeah, mm, 14 years yes. old. Uh, I thought it stood up pretty well. 14 years, though. I mean, that's the dif- that's the distance between an earthly child and Paracroll. Hmm. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's almost profound. Well, yeah, the, 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 um, <laughs> the new series, and I was about to say and bear with me on this, that it's been more consistent. It's not been necessarily consistent in quality, but consistent in tone and look. Mm. TV hasn't evolved as much in the last 14, 15 years as it did in the first 15 of of the show, or even the second 15. Mm, Yeah. I suppose it's it's gone through the sort of SD to HD in the same way we went from 405 to 625, but that's about it. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it lacked that glossy filmic look that they've occasionally achieved in the recent series but it had if you ignore that which is purely technical quality i think there was a lot more invention in the camera in the camera work possibly too much invention in the camera work well as i was saying it's kind of a one-off within it's within doctor who really he really just goes hell for leather on it mm-hmm. back then you had directors who you could recognize their style couldn't you not all mm-hmm. of them but enough of them more than one yeah. which mm. <laughs> yes yeah well we had one this in the past in the m- most recent series I think who was a standout with Villa de Darty and yes um, yeah and can you hear me before which if it had issues they weren't to do you know the direction was certainly pretty good have we talked about the actors yet uh, it's always nice to see Ron Cook he's one of my favourites hmm yeah, no, we haven't. Anybody know Ron from anything in particular? Uh, was he? He has a small, um, memorable part in the singing detective. That's one mm. of the private eyes that 
realise <laughs> that they're not real. Mm. For me, for me, he's the definitive Richard the Third. Really? From Good the <laughs> okay, maybe definitive <laughs> is a slight exaggeration, but he's in the. Uh, the BBC's mammoth Shakespeare project of the late seventies and early eighties, and he's very, oh, okay. he's very good. Yeah. yeah, I always struggle to see much past uh, Peter Cook, but there we go. <laughs> 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 well, we've mentioned um, we've mentioned Granny being in uh, yes, in is that Mar- yeah. Fury from the Deep? Margaret John. I'll just get a cast list on. Yeah, it is Margaret John from Gavin and Stacey. Hmm. Margaret John, yeah, and then uh, the mum. Is I discovered earlier is the other half of Patrick Marber. Yes, yeah. Good lord. Mm. Yeah. The playwright Patrick Marber. Yeah. Inventor (laughs) of Alan Partridge, some would say. (laughs) (laughs) Quite a lot of one of many people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Richard Herring. Yeah. And 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 you know, the wire is the other half of playwright Jack Rosenthal. Mm. Yeah. Yorkshire's own Maureen Lippman. Yes. Did we enjoy Maureen Lippman in, in, in this? Well, yes. I don't think... <laughs> to the extent that I didn't, I don't think it was her fault. When she's just playing an evil watch with mother, um, mm-hmm. then she's obviously the right person for the job. All this hungry stuff got on my nerves very quickly, but then I think that was the reaction across the board back in the day, wasn't mm-hmm. it? People didn't think it was one of the better catchphrases for a Doctor Who villain. Mm. She wasn't given a lot to do, was she? It, it, no, no, it? she's not exactly well motivated at all. You'd think you might have, I don't know, had a, her emerging into three dimensions out of the television might have been a fitting climax. Mm. Mm. If that well, that was, her, that was her aim, wasn't it? And so it would have been good well, to see where she was going. Yeah. Had she been executed or something and then escaped as an electromagnetic life form? Yes. I mean, I that, that's one of the bigger differences between this and the Faceless One. She's a one-off. She's she's not yeah. from a race of badans. She's mm-hmm. yeah. But I found it I, I found it quite odd her choice then as this sentient person who seemingly randomly found herself going down a television aerial into a TV in this guy's shop. That she suddenly was aware of all these sort of early nineteen fifties television. Uh, characters and catchphrases <laughs> and so on. That just seemed slightly odd. But you've got to do something. I mean, as an idea, it, it, it was okay. It's a shame she didn't physically uh, realise at the end, perhaps. Hmm. Uh, her realize, uh, The realisation of her was quite good. You know, with the 405 line effect mm. on it, or yes, whatever it yeah. was. As, as we're saying about the dialogue, it's all those little details that keep... Yeah. It's always something to enjoy, even when... Mm. Even when it's thin stuff <laughs> behind that veneer of of Mark Gatiss enjoying enjoying himself. Well, we, that's true. It's certainly Gatiss wallowing in the kind of things that he likes to wallow in. Um, yeah. Did anyone mention the mm. Florizel Street? I've got it. I, I've got it oh, written no. down. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't mentioned mm. it though. No. Uh, what about Florizel Street? That rings. <laughs> 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 Sorry, everybody. I, I was trying to ignore <laughs> mentioning the fact, gloss over the fact that I just. Dis- Disappeared temporarily and I have no idea what I missed. But uh, <laughs> tell us about Florizel Street. Sh- oh, sounds like a brand of disinfectant to me. <laughs> or chocolates. You tell us. Well, was it the name of the the prototype name for Coronation Street? It was indeed. Mm. Yes. And there may have been an intention to have some of Coronation Street on one of the TVs, or something. Yeah, if the dates work for that. Hmm. 
but it's rather mixed up in its dates, isn't it? Because it is, it is. No, uh, it would have been because it's too old. Fifty-eight coronation. Yeah, yes. but it, yeah. it's 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 because it's a reshaped story from the music idea. They ah. they couldn't even be bothered to exercise the music stuff at the start. No, that would yes. do. You know, talking about Elvis in '58 or whatever, and then and then they, yeah. they realise they're in London in '53. It's interesting that that's that's only there because it's a re- it's a remnant of the fact that Gatiss was originally given a different brief because yeah. he manages he uses that to crowbar in another his his obsession with the TARDIS not taking the Doctor where he wants to be, which only ever happens in his stories in this yeah. era, doesn't it? I remember he yeah. was very proud of the fact that he managed to get that in in The Unquiet Dead. Yeah. I remember him saying mm. at the time that in The Unquiet Dead it was the first time the TARDIS had landed somewhere by accident at random since the King's Demons. I'm sure that's what he said. Hmm. Hmm. Controversial hmm. statement. And this would have been the first time since The Unquiet Dead. Hmm. 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 But I don't... I was never quite sure why, why it really mattered, to be honest. Hmm. But there you go. Not on the same point exactly, but the editor of this uh, Complete History thing that I've got... He he drew a parallel with this story and the McCoy era, in that the McCoy era in consecutive seasons dips into uh, history within living memory, whereas the show doesn't normally do that. And so for him, it was quite reminiscent of those stories. So Curse of Fenric, uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, and yeah. Delta. Delta and the Bannerman. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. that was quite interesting. Quite an interesting thought. Yeah. Although of course, yes and no, because of course. It's the same <laughs> era that was rec- was living memory in the late eighties, but by now, it's that much bit further away. That much, yeah. that bit for yeah. mm. the equivalent is probably Father's Day, isn't it? In the in the mm. new mm. series, that's the same distance. Mm. Yeah. We're all getting old, Tim. Well, I'm not. And we'll oh never no! Catch it. We'll never. <laughs> is that we'll never catch up with Richard? Oh <laughs> uh, dear. So I was looking at Alexandra Palace and, you know, what kind of power output do we think it would have been? And, and as far as I can see, it was uh, tens of kilowatts. Um, now, I mean, I, I don't know how familiar you are with microwave ovens, mm-hmm. but I mean, I have to say that if you were, if you're going to be close to a transmitting aerial at tens of kilowatts, you weren't going to be up there for very long before you'd be... Um, you know, pretty much fried. So they they did quite well. Um, the Doctor and and uh, Magpie to hang on for so long. I think. Was there a line in there about him having rubber soles, so he'd be fine, or something like that? Does that not? Yeah, wash? It, it it was. Well, yeah. I, I mean, if it's static electricity, then then I think I can see that working. But I'm afraid <laughs> that um, RF doesn't really operate that way. <laughs> oh. One little thing I just wanted to bring up. I wonder, with regards to the Maureen Lipman casting. Jack Rosenthal, of course, if, if we're talking about Ground Zero for a lot of this nostalgia for the early 50s TV, is really the 1986 50th anniversary of the BBC stuff that mm-hmm. I, I certainly remember quite well when one first saw you know, a lot of this early stuff repeated. Mm. Right. And what's the name with her, with her song? The Mystic Magic Haze. To bring a new wonder to you. Mm. And, um, and Jack Rosenthal, funnily enough, he wrote... Like the big highlight of that season, which was the Fools on the Hill, which was the drama ah, about yes. the drama about Ali Pally. I remember that. Uh-huh. Hmm. Mm. Oh, was that Alexandra Palace the other week? Ah, well, just, yeah. just before we were all told we shouldn't be mixing with large numbers of people. Mm-hmm. I was there watching Supergrass with tw- ten thousand sweaty, Lon- <laughs> sweaty Londoners. <so. laughs> Could have been worse. Oh. 
Just mm. throw that in there. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 are you young and green? When you say it could have been worse, you say it could have been worse. You mean it could have been cast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could have been cast. <laughs> I was slightly worried that it was slightly disappointed in watching it, and that I'd forgotten exactly everything that happened. I was slightly <laughs> disappointed. I thought it was slightly unusual for modern Doctor Who that when they had the Bakelite handset. Mm-hmm. I was expecting that to be some sort of, you know, really out there alien technology, mm-hmm. you know, that could do this, that, or the other. And it turned out it was only a portable TV. A portable I found TV. I found myself oddly deflated by that. I th- uh, yeah, and that I'm was a sure. yeah. too clever by its own half, maybe. In that, I d- I just found myself, you know, I I wished it was something else, like a teleport or yeah. or something. Yeah, so the problem being that there's no technology that of the time that you could possibly stick something like that into something that size. And yet, on the other hand, if you're going to have alien tech, it ought to be a lot more impressive, yeah. Yeah. I quite like that idea. I quite, I, I'm not quite sure, I don't recall how, how well it's developed, but I quite like the idea that the, the main thing that is the mm. problem is that is that she's she can get onto a television screen, but she can't be moved around. Mm. She has to, so therefore they have to build a portable telly. <laughs> Hmm. I think that's quite that's quite fun. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with that, but it would have been more fun had it hmm. been a really chunky TV that was on his back or hmm. something that was a bit <laughs> something that was a bit chunkier. It hmm. just doesn't quite seem to to knit together to me. Hmm. Hmm. If it's old technology with a TV screen in it, it should have been bigger. Yes. But because it was smaller, hmm. it looks hmm. like it should have been something it else. It feels like like Magpie would have had to have made it. So oh, he did. Yeah, it, it stipulates that. Mm, yeah. In the in the script, mm. um, you know, this was made by human hands, but not by human mind or something. Mm-hmm. But I did enjoy it. I I, I did enjoy yeah. it for all its faults and all mm. the hideous straight from the fridge daddy o and all that sort of stuff, which mm. made me cringe. That could have worked at the start. That joke didn't quite land for me. In that no. the Cliff Richard thing uh, was, I thought, was quite funny. And mm. I thought your mum would have watched Cliff Richard. It just didn't quite land how it might well, it would have, have worked done. in 1958, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I mean the delivery of the, the, the jokes, the emphasis seemed a bit front-heavy. In general, mm. the Doctor and Rose, talking about watching it out of context, it reminded me that... I remember as, as season two progressed, I and several other viewers, if the forums were anything to go by, were slightly irritated by, by the Doctor and Rose, that they were getting... Mm. Rah, <laughs> the closeness and chumminess and the whole point of them enjoying the adventure of Doctor Who, mm. which mm. which is a perfectly fine idea, was getting a bit out of control and they were becoming rather smug and annoying. And it was an interesting journey to be on at the time because it turned out that that was deliberate. Deliberate, wasn't it? Yes. Mm. That mm. Russell yes. had been instructing his writers to make the Doctor and Rose kind of annoying mm. so that he could make that a plot point at the end of the series, which I've never mm. been quite sure was a good idea because should you really wait, you know, spend hours of people's viewing time presenting with characters who are a bit irritating just to make a point? It's the Colin Baker conundrum, Yes, exactly. It's yeah. exactly that one. But it, it sort of contributes in my mind to this, the, the growth of Tennant's Doctor's ego throughout his entire run. And then he becomes so hubristic or whatever the word is later on and it becomes his downfall and he gets cut down to size it sort of contributes to that for me in my in my head canon it does uh, and then he is cut down to size and then he's re- he, he, he's 
you know, he's not God at the end of it, and it reboots, um, which is in contrast to what they've done recently for me, um, in that he wasn't special, but he thought he was. So that, that yeah, just in my head canon, that contributes. Hmm. Talking of actors, I don't like to be young, to be critical, but I am I the only person who finds Jamie Foreman's <laughs> performance to be <laughs> not enjoyably over the top, but rather, I just can't quite believe what I'm watching. <laughs> Do you know him from anything else? Is he always like that? Is he is he playing the performance with the subtlety which he thinks he's perceived in the script? I don't know. Is is, is he being directed this way? But he's not he's not on the same page as the other actors. <laughs> I don't like it. I think whatever the idea behind that character was, I think it loses something both in the execution on the mm. page and on the screen, really, which is a bit of a problem because it's a major part of the episode mm. and the the human the human side of the story to counterpoint all the all the spooky escapism mm. Mm. or it suffers as a result. Is that just me? It, it does feel a bit extreme. It's just too much of a grotesque to to mm. take that part of the story seriously. I think if it had been written and performed with a bit more subtlety. It's kind of similar to the film Matilda, you know, the, the sort of parents in that. They're, 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 they're grotesques, the, the Raoul Dahl thing. Yeah. Yeah, mm. because because he's over the top. If, if it had been a more a slightly more subtle performance... When the wife kicks him out, that would have been more impactful. But because he's so over the top and she's so muted when she kicks him out, it's a nice moment, but I think it could have been a triumphant moment. And those two performances aren't quite no. the same, are they? Yeah. He he was around at the time. He did, he did a few bits here and there. And I know of him from that time because... Somebody pointed out that his 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 heritage is gangsters, isn't it? He's he's mm. his father so or grandfather was was in with the craze, or Mad Frankie, what's his face or whatever. Mm. He was around at the time, and it is it is a, an OTT performance. But you, but I don't mind it so much. It does the job. It's just the wrong kind of OTT for me because the whole story is not mm. really set in the real world. It's set in. Gatiss Land, <laughs> yeah. Mark's stories love him are set in our theme park versions of whatever era he's mm. been mm. been sent to. Yeah, it's just the wrong side of um, of Chewy for me. Oh well. <laughs> one other, one other thing we've not touched on, which is uh, which is arguably the raison d'etre for us choosing this story, this particular pairing, mm. is the faceless people, the faceless ones. Yes, the mm. faceless the, ones in the, the literally faceless ones. The story, yes, yeah. Paying off on that pro- on that premise, that promise, mm. even. <laughs> yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Do you think that's um, Mark? He would have been writing this before he'd seen the rest of season one, wouldn't he? Or maybe as he was watching it. Mm. Do you think he's riffing on maybe what Moffat was doing in the horror side of it, the empty child stuff with the gas mask? Where's he? Uh, or is he? Or is he going steel. for a big? <laughs> well, that's. It was the it was the brief it was the initial brief from RTD that dictated faceless people right okay. Okay. and that dad got right. up in the middle of the night and he heard a tune out of the window and when he'd finished listening to the tune he turned round to his wife and his face was gone. Ah, interesting. It's a big idea. It's, it seems it feels a Moffaty idea more than a, a Russell sort of idea to me. But but I guess it depends on the treatment. Yeah, it if didn't really go... make sense in the. I, don't, I mean. You know, if we can if we can put up with the the sort of plot in the faceless ones and not be too critical of it, apart from mm. enjoying its complete bonkersness, mm. I would feel a bit churlish doing it to the, yeah. 
Yeah. But it didn't really make sense to me what purpose, because the wire feeds off the electromagnetic energy of the brain and then also captures the faces and the personality and puts them aside to one mm-hmm. side and they're stored in the TVs and it didn't really explain that there is an excised piece of dialogue though which does explain it mm. it's only a throwaway but it says that the face and the personality are waste products which are discarded ah. and therefore you can okay. reunify the various components but that was left out I don't know why they cut these lines out no. when you can fix what seems a minor problem to you but is going to annoy or baffle a significant proportion of the audience with one line why not mm. do it? Yeah. Yeah. But mm. then that's a long running issue throughout, yeah, an awful lot of modern Doctor Who, isn't it? And mm. an awful lot of old Doctor Who, let's face it, as well. And Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> every single explanation for what the hell you were watching was cut, cut out. <laughs> but, in the, but in the faceless ones, who knows? They may have realised that they didn't have the explanation for why they'd lost their faces and just went to the bother to write, I know, mm. this'll do it. Yeah. Big explosion. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Because of radiation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting as <laughs> that was an idea of Russell T's then, the, the facelessness. Um, yes, apparently it's, so. It's obviously, it's, a, it's such an iconic image from a lot of our childhoods, the, the faceless man in Sapphire and Steel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, know, you think, oh, there's got to be a lift from there. And the, but it's, it's interesting because here, okay, it's, it is still a creepy image. But it's not, it's not, it's not outright scary in the and way that the, the man, the man in Sapphire and Steel is ter- is terrifying, but more because of the concept of the, you know, what he what he mm. represents. Yeah. So and I, I just I was vaguely thinking, is this something somewhat typical Gacy's thing that one can accuse him of that he goes for the iconography of the scares, mm. but doesn't necessarily hit the mark with regard to the actual point of what makes them scary. And there's also no thematic connection. It's mm. it's another one of those slams, rock and roll and faceless people, mm. because mm. you know, like you've plucked <laughs> three yes, different that, that's, ideas that's really out of the weird. box blind, yeah. blindfolded. Yes, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, which, at least from that, at least from that point of view, it actually works better that it's television rather than you know, at least slightly more. It's slightly you, closer to yeah to to a theme you know there than at least you can have the faces trapped on screens. Yeah. So we should thank Mark for that. Haven't been. Having been given mm. a, a given a, bra- a grab bag of random ideas, he did at least put the work in to try and mm. yeah. link yeah. them together in a way that they, as I'm endlessly moaning about in the, in the new series, mm. the current series, they don't seem to. Mm. So this was the Sonic. This started out as being the Sonic Monster or similar story outline that has vaguely haunted Doctor Who ever since it came back, or more or less. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. The other link to the faceless ones is the animation has magpie electricals in the airport. Oh, it does, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember magpie electricals was everywhere at the time? When, back when there was a lot of um, extra television oh, and yes. ancillary material, mm. like webs, fake websites and things. Mm. For uh, some no. reason, the people who wrote all that stuff really picked up on what magpie, and it appeared everywhere as mm. Easter eggs. And, the, and I never quite understood why they... Why? Because it was mm. even in the text. It's just something that happened. He's mm. one man with one small shop in one year. Mm. So I never quite understood why anybody thought that it deserved. It was either that a lot of that stuff was being made up of the, you know, like I remember we had Mickey's website and all sorts yes. of things back in the. Yeah, that's the reason. God, great <laughs> days. 
I think it was either, <laughs> it was either they're just making up a lot of stuff on the mm. on you know just as just as basically viral marketing as we call it these days without really knowing, or it, or it was a deliberate red herring, I guess. Mm. Oh, and the, there's a the Torchwood reference. This episode is is glossed over. It's just in the back. It's just in the mm. background. It's actually the dialogue is being faded out at the point at which Torch is mentioned, which is interesting. Is there one? Oh, where's yeah. that? Yeah. Where the policeman mentions it. He says, um, let's hope Torch don't he hear mm. about this. Ah, yeah. But for some reason, it's at the exact point that they're focusing on the Doctor's face and he's not listening. Mm. And mm. so you can barely hear it, which reminds me of some of the Bad Wolf um, yes. references in the first series <laughs> were so glossed over for, for some mm. reason that they were barely noticeable. Almost like mm. they were slightly ashamed of <laughs> putting these things in, so then tried mm. to bury them. It, it occurs to me with, with the magpie thing, uh, I don't want to start pulling it to pieces, but that doesn't make sense either. It starts off with him broke, £200 overdrawn, and then it sort of goes with the idea that the wire has made him this phenomenally rich guy because he's flogging all these TVs, but that isn't for, explained. For almost free. Yeah. For, he's for, not uh, making any money off them because he's doing them cheap. He's pulling his punches on there because he's he's not an, a, a villain, but he and he's not he's not been mind con and, but he's also not completely in the thrall of the wire. He's sort of half mm. doing it because he's amoral. It's just a bit lily livered, you know. It's, you know what I mean? Mm. Yes. I think it would have been better to go one way or the other. He's either not doing any of this out of his own volition, or he's pure evil. Mm. But then I think the fact the fact that he's just dismissed from the story unceremoniously is symptomatic of the fact that he never quite comes together as a character but Ron Cook I think does a very nice job mm. what a mm. smashing actor not a trace of Richard III in there anywhere <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 unfortunately putting it back in the context of the season as much as I've enjoyed it this time I, I now dread to think about going back to watch the back end of that season because it's shortly followed by it's got that decent two-parter but we've also got to deal with that season love and monsters yeah and um fear the, her yes the um mm. the one two knockout of <laughs> fear her and <laughs> what was it called again the scribble monster the scribble monsters olympic yeah. story yes mm. yes yeah so wow. it, back in its context it, it did flag um for me at the end of that season but again you can't beat season three anyway. They were really hitting their straps at that point. Mm. And I don't really like the enjoy the um, the Cybermen two-parter either. That falls somewhat flat. Uh, so it's a difficult season. But I've enjoyed going back, watching it in contrast to, to more recent fare. Yeah, an interesting rewatch. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, mm. it's, it's a whole story. It's over and done with in 45 minutes. Mm. It's interesting, and you know, we've kind of certainly I'd half forgotten what the plot was, so it was you know, it was, it was nice to rediscover it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got little to complain about, yeah, indeed. Uh, yeah. As you say, as you say, in that sense, it's kind of like the faceless ones, it's, it's a sort of forgotten story that it's quite pleasant to rediscover. Both very much cobbled out of abandoned half ideas and sort of yeah. will go with it and it loses some of the sense because of that. Yeah. Would it have been better if it had been a prequel to the Faceless Ones and been about the chameleons on Earth setting a, de up their a decade earlier? <laughs> <laughs> Flying aeroplanes. 
I'm just sandwich. saying that to prolong the conversation. I, 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 I think it would have been quite good if, if there'd been some doubt about when it was actually set. So we could have had the, uh, you know, the dating controversy in the new series as well as the old. <laughs> there'd have had to be an explosion, wouldn't there? It was going to be a prequel to the to Facebook. big one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, did this get one of those minisodes on on the website beforehand? Oh my goodness, are they on the DVD? I don't. I, honestly, I don't know. I, I don't I, think I, it did. I confess, I watched it on the um, on iPlayer. Yeah, me, me too. It certainly had a confidential. Yes. Oh, confidential. Mm. No. Oh. Yes. Oh, but yes. We were spoiled mm. in them days, weren't we? We were. Um, of course, the, the, um, the, the story that came after the Impossible Planet didn't it, didn't that have a have a mini so that completely made no <laughs> made no sense whatsoever in the context of the <laughs> of the ensuing plot. I had a feeling so they were being produced by somebody else. <laughs> Tardisode Seven. So I'm just looking at Wikipedia. Oh, okay. But which it says in the external links section. But then the link doesn't go anywhere. Hmm. Okay. And there's a commentary with Ron Cook on it. Oh, mm. is there? Wow. So if we're going to um, try and tie this up, then I guess the other the other aspect of that era is, you know, we've got missing episodes in the Troughton era, but we've got missing content, I think, from this era. You know, the, the, the confidentials were half an hour long, but they only <laughs> ever came out as 15-minute ones. Yeah. Some of those other bits and pieces, it's kind of hard to get hold of. It, it, it does feel like even in the the modern age, we've had a, a checkered past or history, really, of, of, of managing to retain everything that, that went out. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm sure someone's got the full confidential story. I think I have. I think I've recorded yeah. all them on my DVD recorder. So maybe, mm. you know, if I hang on and sit on them. Maybe they'll be yeah, the only yeah. versions left. You are you're the Graham Strong of the um, <laughs> of the new series. <laughs> Goodness. Well it the was Phil nothing. Morris. The Phil Morris of New Who, that <laughs> is what you are. But Phil yes. Morris looking after the classic stuff. You and Stephen Moffat looking yeah. after the new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. It's um yeah, so just to track down the Tardisodes seven is still Available on on the tube of YouTube, right? And, um, and it's uh, it's Grandma Connolly getting her face sucked oh. off from oh. from, from, from the point of view of the television. Mm. Richard, following on, up on what you were saying, is this the era when they had one commentary on the DVD, but there was also online commentaries? The website which n- didn't appear anywhere else, because apparently because yes. of rights reasons, because of who pay. Mm. Yeah, which were often I seem to remember better than the ones that end up on the DVD because they, because they were done first and they they often had the cr- the pick yes. of the common contributors. And by the time they yes. came to do the DVDs, they weren't allowed to use those, but they didn't want mm. to tread the same ground. So they had to pick other possibly, some might say lesser mm. people. What a time to be alive! Well, maybe mm. when the blue, well, not the blue, we've had Blu-rays. <laughs> maybe when well, the special so, editions so it, come out. So interestingly. You know, if, if if I were to refer to the two chats I've had in the course of the last week, Chris Chapman was suggesting that it's not impossible that we might get a a more definitive set of Blu-rays coming out for the new series when they finish with the old, mm. and that perhaps you know the the time has elapsed long enough that people are prepared to be a little bit more um, objective. Yeah, objective. Is exactly that's the, word. that's mm. the diplomatic word. Yes. We might not get the dirt, 
yeah. but it won't be disinfected and scrubbed clean. Mm. Yeah. But they're mid-new series, aren't they, on, on releasing them on Blu-ray at the moment in steelbook form. Mm. Yeah. So they've just done the specials, haven't they? The, you know, the, the end of Tenant three or four specials. Mm. Bus of the Damned or whatever it was. What is it called? Dead. Planet of the Dead. Planet of the Dead. Planet yeah. of the Dead. I think. Planet of the Dead. Yeah. Exactly Void, what I said. Voyage, Voyage, Voyage. I much, I much prefer <laughs> Bus of the Damned. Though. Voyage of the Bus, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, holiday, so which, are, which bus are we talking about? <laughs> so these Tardis Tardis were they released online before each? Yes. Episode. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm. I'm more familiar with the Moffat mini-sodes. Mm. Yeah. Oh, he, no, it's completely. He took it to another level altogether. <laughs> mm. yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. All of his ones mm. were actually set in the TARDIS, unlike the TARDIS sodes. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So he was watching, thinking, "Yeah, doing it wrong." Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And we had one today, of course. We had. Uh, we did, yes. Jody Whittaker in her wardrobe, which was a mini toad nice. set in a cupboard. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't want to have to draw this to a to a close, but uh, <laughs> I, I wonder <laughs> if it's uh, fine. <laughs> let's do another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any final crumbs that we can wrestle from the from the sandwich of, of, of these two stories. <laughs> I was just about to comment on how your metaphor had gone completely off the rails and then he wrenched it back on course again. Crumb wrestling, indeed. No. That's, that's a no from me. Because of that, I'm out. If only Simon were here. <laughs> uh, get well oh, soon, Simon. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I can't think of anything else particularly to uh, to raise. I think we've hmm. I think we've exhausted it. I think there's there's scope for a third stab at this, where the faceless people are are properly scary. I don't think anyone's quite cracked it yet. So there you go. Mm. That's my contribution, and it should be an audio. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course it shouldn't. I, oh God. They were they were scary in the original. They were they were horrific looking. Oh, they were. You're you're right. Vaseline and good point. Glistening mm. like wet leather. They didn't necessarily have no face, though. <laughs> but not dissimilar to the well, thing. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, the ambassadors of death, though, surely. Mm. Isn't there? A, yeah. Isn't there a yes. Mm. Yeah, sort of. It's, al- yes. it's almost as if <laughs> Malcolm Hawke might have had a hand in both. Ooh. Mm. Did he? Well, he well, ev- rewrote ev- David Whitaker's script. Everyone wrote an episode, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tre- <laughs> me and Trevor Ray were at episode eight. <laughs> uh, uh, whatever happened to Trevor Ray? I used to love that sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be brilliant to edit this one, I can tell. Yes. Um, thank you, thank you all of you for for taking part. And and you know, oddly, we didn't we didn't short out the time differential or, no. or whatever oh, no. it was. Yeah. No, oh, no, we didn't. We didn't have Simon here in the end. That's probably why. No, actually, if we really want to short out the time differential. We probably need to get Mike involved. Mm. Uh, yes, because then we'll certainly be 
12 or 11 hours adrift or that, something. That boy's got time differential written all over him, hasn't he? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Like a Whatever that means. <laughs> yes. Like all, all through him, like a stick of rock. <laughs> well, gang. Yes. Bye, everybody. Until next time, Richard, yes. thanks for having us back. I think Indeed, you should probably yeah. stick to interviewing celebrities who know what they're <laughs> talking about and can convey that information in a witty and concise manner. But thank you for trusting us, bunch of... I mean, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, thank you, thank you for having me back on. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. Maybe in another year or two. Yeah, well, you know... Same time tomorrow night? <laughs> yeah. uh, not doing anything else yeah. okay. At least, at least we're all smiling at the end of it, which which is which is good. We 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 we, we may have sent uh, the the listeners in a strange direction, but we've we've uh, goodbye, listener. We kept ourselves amused. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do we do yes. some contrived goodbye or something? What do you do? I can't remember. We all clap. Well, we no we, on we normally just <laughs> we normally just kind of shambolically stumble off. Uh, yeah. Right, okay. Okay. Talking about watching it out of context, it reminded me that. At the time, they were... Well, no. We'll never know what it reminded him <laughs> of. Everyone's gone. Yeah. No. Have we all I gone? Know, well, to pick up on... I'm, yeah, personally, it was one of the things that grated, just, grated uh, with me. I'm not sure whether Paul was going to uh, going to say that he um, he actually liked that or just me. But it, um, it, did, it did rather great in terms of... Oh, he's back. He's back. Was that just out. was that just me that went then? Yes. I oh, what a pain in the 